Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, and Murph and Ken here with Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, the first Monday of 2016. Murph, any celebs spotting over the Christmas or New Year period? <sighs> Nothing? Seen no, anything famous? No? no, sorry. I once no. saw Shane Byrne in a nightclub in Arklow. And yeah. uh, forever since then, I've been trying to recapture that magical high, but it's don't, never quite worked. Don't chase it, don't, don't chase it. Subsequent if festive it, If it happens, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm know. addicted now. Addicted. Yeah. I came up short again this year, Ken. Uh, I saw Shane Byrne. This year? Yeah, the last few days. Really? Yeah. Whereabouts? In the globe. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you got my magical high from a number of years ago. I did. Maybe just maybe hangs out more around Dublin. One's got news for you, Ken. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I was uh, I was at mass on Christmas morning. Oh. And you saw Shane Byrne again? No. Uh, I was I was trying to. It was raining. I had an umbrella, but it was only when I got to the church that I realised my umbrella wouldn't close. Uh, it had a kind of. Um, you know, like that. that There's a spring strip. mechanism. There's a spring that wasn't wasn't clicking in in the place. So the umbrella persistently wanted to open, mm. and I had the um, you know that sort of strap on the outside of the umbrella that you can use to tie it up. Yeah. So I was resting, fiddling with this strap, trying to get an umbrella that didn't want to close to close, holding it closed, and then trying to wind with with one hand and trying to wind it around with the other hand and seal it all with one hand. And as you can imagine while trying not to get all the water that was on the umbrella onto my clothes, which was the whole point of having the umbrella in the first place. And I was trying to do all this stuff and becoming increasingly flustered um, as people packed into the church. And we were at the church a bit early because we knew, we knew that it was kind of an often only standing room. Was this a midnight mass or Christmas morning? That was um, half ten, I think, Christmas, Christmas morning. Half ten or eleven, I'm not, I'm not okay, sure. Okay, yeah. Um, maybe half eleven. I can't. Let's remember. not fix it. Doesn't matter. Yes, yeah, super question. I mean, yeah, 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 my mistake. And there I was getting flustered, get, uh, and and probably beginning to curse under my breath a little bit, when suddenly, uh, and I was obviously looking down at. The, if you can imagine, I had the umbrella now wedged between my legs. Mm. Right, it was it was jutting out. It was jutting out between my legs. I was trying to grip the grip the bit of it that, that wanted to open while while wrapping. Uh, mm. You know. Yeah. Uh, whereupon somebody sort of tapped me on the shoulder. I looked up. 
And who was it? Only uh, former Irish uh, rugby legend. Well, still Irish still rugby legend. Jerry Flannery. It's pretty big. Jerry Flannery, who who looked great. I have to say, he looked yeah. really, he looked he looked really good. What was he wearing? Did he did he he didn't wear a suit to Christmas morning mass? Uh, I, kind of I didn't have time to, to take in his whole outfit because he. Uh, I just saw his face uh, first of all, uh, and he, you know he he looked great. And then he uh, offered to shake my hand. Uh, well, I mean, he he had his hand out, so I obviously said, "Oh," and then was trying to deal with the umbrella at the same time. Yeah, shook his hand. Said, "Oh, Jerry, great to see you, Jerry." Oh, yeah. Uh, just trying to fix this umbrella here. Anyway, he was already he was already past me already. On, yeah, on he didn't really care now. about the umbrella. Yeah, he didn't really care. <laughs> so he went in, and then, but by the time I managed to get the umbrella, I thought closed. I then went into the church, but it turned out all the places were taken. So my plan of arriving early had failed. So now I was standing at the back of the church, and, and I thought, okay, that's okay. I can I can do that. Uh, I'll stand. Uh, but then the umbrella was behind me. So I was standing there. Uh, the, the umbrella was kind of propped against the wall. I was just against the wall. I thought, this is good. I can kind of lean against the wall here, hmm. take a bit of the load off. But the church got more and more full. And eventually it was really packed. Uh, and it was only then about halfway through the service, uh, the umbrella suddenly came undone. Hmm. And one of its spokes kind of pringed into the backside of the man standing just just beside me. <laughs> I could I could feel what was going on, so I I tried to sort of put my hand down to squeeze the umbrella back into place. But if you can imagine, they it, it sp- its spokes had begun to come apart. It was difficult to 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 grab. And all I succeeded in doing was prodding the spokes further or repeatedly into the <laughs> the backside of this man. Uh, while while also, if you can imagine, dipping my shoulder a little bit so, to bring my face my yeah. breathing mouth closer to his ear until eventually he looked around <laughs> until eventually he looked around with a, with a kind of uh, you know like a what, what are you doing face, I would say yeah and I said oh sorry sorry and then his his wife who was standing next to him turned around with the same sort of slightly shocked expression and, and you know is everything okay I said yes yeah absolutely everything's okay and then I sort of I thought well I can't do anything with this umbrella now so, so I just released my hand again from it because I was like I can't I'm powerless against it and then it just jabbed into him one final time, you know, one final time. I mean, he wouldn't—he wouldn't have been the tallest man. So the umbrella was was right into his 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 buttocks, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I just had to leave it that way for the entire mass. Well, for the for the remainder of the mass. Yeah. But I mean, what, what could I do? I couldn't do anything until the communion. Well, instead of using the the tie ra- the velcroed wraparound thing. Well, I could. Could but you not just is... grasped it firmly in your hand, thereby? But I, could, in, but I couldn't. Sure it, the, 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 the church was actually so packed that I didn't have space to sort of to bend down and to turn around and pick it up. I literally could. The only way I could get to it was by extending the right, my right hand down and trying to grab it with my right hand. I, there literally wasn't room to turn around. This is a very popular church. I was going to say, how like small it, yeah. is this church? More to the point. This, I mean, the, do they have not have any idea of, of the of the the capacity, the expected crowds? I mean, it sounds to me like a complete systems failure in just, the area of crowd control. They just don't expect someone to be in there with something that takes up. That wants to take up as much space as a big umbrella. It that sounds starstruck as well. This victim that Ken saw me, this unwitting victim, was actually Keith Wood. But there were so many superstars in this church that he didn't you even. You thought you were him. getting a question, or you thought you were getting a story about Jerry Flannery. It turns out it was mostly an umbrella story with a slight cameo by Jerry Flannery. <laughs> yeah. in the it, like all great stories. Once it, the, the communion came, then then things started to free up a bit. Then I was able to grab it and and go outside. Well, 
Anyway, you might be about to have another embarrassing. Sorry, d- Ken. Sorry, just to return to that for a moment. Did you did you leave after the communion? You didn't I wait, stay for the. I, I waited outside. I knew that there was too many people that my. I can't believe. It. Well, I knew that I wouldn't be seen. <laughs> there was too many people in the way. Of course. So I figured it would be okay if I if I stood outside. Just it was a little. Uh, yeah. You know. It was okay. It's okay. It's he was not, chatting to no the disrespect. he was chatting to the altar boys outside. The three Wallace brothers. There was actually the a loud. <laughs> there was actually. A, I I only discovered when I went outside a loudspeaker system, so that you could hear the priest. You could hear him that over by the loudspeaker church. outside. Yeah, I've been at some churches. So like obviously that, yeah. there must be some situation where, there, where there's often just throngs waiting outside, and they uh, and they can listen to. It's it. not fit for purpose. Yeah. I need I'm, to I'm save you here, Ken, from another potentially awkward social situation. I'm going to ask you to move your cup of tea there. It's right behind your Mac. It's about to spit on your Mac. Oh. It's about to spit on Murph's computer. Oh, yeah. There are serious issues. Just as you were telling that story there, there was, we almost had a mm. disaster there, but we've now averted it. And, and you're, taking a nice, you're taking a nice slurp of tea there in the background as well. Off mic. Skillfully done. Like the parole that he is. Yeah, Ken's like, somebody else start talking so I can get some of this tea down me. Anyway, the early part of January is the time of year that the sports world is taken over by the darts, lads. There's this weird crossover where the old school BDO championships have begun in the BBC, while the bigger money PDC Championships reaches its conclusion on Sky. So Darts fans yesterday could conceivably, and in actuality, watch Ted the Count Hankey in first round action at the Lakeside, followed by Gary the Flying Scotsman Anderson beating Adrian Jackpot Lewis in a thriller of a final at the Alley Pally. Murph, did you watch both? Are you a PD- BDO or a PDC man? <laughs> well, I know uh, you hate the Darts, that's why I'm yeah, asking Yeah, that's you. why you're asking. Yeah. I, I will say this, that I, 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 I don't hate the Darts. Hate is such a strong word, hon. Mm. Um... But I am extremely uh, nonplussed by the darts. With one, I will offer one small caveat. Uh, a number of my friends are fans of the darts for about 20 years. One of them includes second captain's producer, Mark Horgan. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm watching the darts with Mark, his hilarious asides on the entire <laughs> darting culture, I, I get enjoyment out of. But if I'm watching the darts by myself, I will, within 30 seconds, be bored out of my mind. And just decide this isn't. Well, I think this is what got me into it yesterday because I was following the second captain, second captain's Twitter feed during mm. the Ted the Count Hanky match, and Ted the Count Hanky, and I can only imagine that Mark was in charge of controls. I think it's a fair account. assumption to make. Ted Hanky fact one: In 2000, he put a streak of form down to reducing his pre-match routine of 13 pints to just three pints. <laughs> was one, and it was another fact uh, here. In 2012, he was forced to drop his Dracula cloak from his walk-on for security reasons. Pissed fans were grabbing his cloak <laughs> so, yeah, to get rid of that. Still uh, the greatest show. I, I can confirm that uh, Mark is one of the foremost uh, minds at work, currently at work, <laughs> when it comes to Ted Hankey, Ted the Count, sorry, excuse me, Ted the Count Hankey facts. I, so yeah. if, if it's Mark that's saying it, then you can presume that it, it is true. I did end up watching the PDC final. Ba- on the back of that, I just got the darts fever. Murph, uh, mm. quite well, you know, you're in a WhatsApp group with loads and loads of lads who are really massively into darts. What's weird about it is it reminds me of the UFC and its self-promotion. You know the way you've talked about this, Ken, how the UFC is very uh, enclosed. It's very it's insular in the sense that the people working for it are doing the interviews and everyone's almost in it together pr- mm. promoting the thing the entire time as opposed to a sport like football which just can't be that way even though you still obviously have uh, t- vested interest in TV companies bigging up stuff and hyping up stuff more than is deserved. But in this case, I don't even know if the UFC interviews Dana White during uh, immediately after fights, do they? Oh, they do. Yeah. Oh, do they? Often, oh, yeah. okay. Well, then 
similar to that then. Same Bar- thing. Bar- Bar- <laughs> exact same thing. Barry Hearn, was, Barry Hearn was interviewed and it was put to him, oh, it's impossible to get a seat at the Ali Pali these days. You know, what's going to happen next year? And he said, I'll tell you one thing that's not going to happen. We're not going to jack up prices. That's not what we're not going to do. This is a sport for the people, by the people, played by the people, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Pretty yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the insular is actually quite an interesting word to use in relation to the dearth because it really seems like for everyone in that room, like to the, like that meaning of the word insular is that they close the doors at the alley pally and it turns into this complete, this world where normal modes of behaviour are thrown out the window. Well, the big shout is stand up if you love the dark. If you love you know, the dark. Stand up if yeah. you love the dark. It's again, rare enough in a sport that you cheer the sport itself. <laughs> your main chant is about how great your sport is, although maybe that will creep oh, into God. some see, of the See, I'm laughing again. Because, see, this... This level of engagement with the darts is absolutely fine for me. You just Listening to people talking about the darts, I love that. Well, Murphy, if, you only, if you'd only seen Gary Anderson hit that 170 checkout in the penultimate leg, a couple of triple 20s, bullseye. Unbelievable, Murph. Unbelievable. Even, the comment, even the commentator said so. I actually, I actually played a bit of darts on New Year's Day uh, with the said uh, darts-loving friends of mine. And again, the, the phraseology of it, the madhouse. I was in the madhouse a lot. I, 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 I didn't know what it means. Yeah, I've left, I'm left with Shanghai. I mean, I, these words mean nothing to me, but they're very enjoyable to me to hear. We're already four days into 2016. High time we got this onto the show. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Bone and bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Okay, guys. Yep. The first P-Bezzle of the year is in. The first Pierce Brosnan Emigrant Shredder of the year is, is in, I can confirm. And it contains a meet and greet with one of our regular contributors. And I'm now going to give you one clue and one clue only. Okay. Which will tell you who this person is. He is the best Skype line in all of the world. Yes, you, yeah. No. Okay, I'm going to give you another guess. Well, it can't be better than US Murph because US Murph feels like he's sitting here. You got to give us. You got to give it a different kind of. A Tim clue. Vickery. It's Tim Vickery. Oh, Simon, okay. Simon shouted that oh, out. God. Simon pays a lot more attention to the Skype lines and. So Tim Vickery, this is a very special Tim Vickery uh, staring. Oh yeah. P. Bezzo. Hi, second second captainers, Brian and Finn here. Let's cut straight to the chase. I like these guys. Yeah. This is as shameless and unap- unapologetic a play for free, authentic second captain's merchandise as your incessant prostituting of the Pulitzer-esque second captain's annual. Actually, it's called the second captain's sports annual, volume one. I'd say I still actually forget it. <laughs> so luckily my bride's Brazilian girlfriend went all native and ended up stalking Tim Vickery's stepdaughter on Instagram and in the process secured us a sit-down with the doyen of all things South American football. They say you should never meet your heroes and we didn't as our heroes are Owen Ken Murph Simon and that other guy from Wham. <laughs> what we can that's Mark. What we can say though is that Tim is an absolute gent and was more than happy to while away an hour and a half. Wow. <sighs> Uh, of his time with, uh, with us in one of the great football cities in the world. We presented him with his very own copy of the Second Captain Sports Annual at the end of our meetup, for which he was extremely grateful. Wow. So all that's left to say is that I'm currently a definite large, Christmas in Brazil has been good to me, and my cousin is a small. I can forward you uh, my address details at a little rate. Happy New Year from Rio, and all the best for 2016. Brian and Finn. P.S. In answer to your question, yes, they do have hamburgers and chips in Brazil, but they call, they're called chips... Batatas Fritas. I don't remember asking that question, but uh, regardless, we thank you for clearing up that non-mystery, Brian and Finn. Did we ever talk? Did I don't we? know. I think Brian and Finn deserve a t-shirt. Batatas Fritas. <laughs> yeah. 
it's really quite something. But yeah, I, I no, the the t-shirts are, are on their way, Brian. They've sent photograph, yeah, so photographic evidence. So that's great. So, so did it, but did they actually contact Tim Vickery through his daughter? Was it the daughter's Instagram? God yeah, daughter, did they I say? believe so. Yeah, and and say we want to meet your dad. How do you do? How do you do that? There's there's information missing. There is. There is. There's no doubt about that. There is weird information <laughs> missing. That is. As true. these guys said, can cut to the chase. They don't need extraneous or indeed necessary information yeah. in the email. They just want to get their jokes across and get the details of yeah. The details of, of my life are unimportant. Yeah. Suffice to say, there are photographs of these gentlemen holding a hashtag PBS sign with Tim Vickery, oh, yeah. uh, looking very. Tim Vickery looks really delighted to meet these guys. That's good. For an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time of year again. The Intercounty GA world slowly wakes up from its winter slumber. It's as though it's set an alarm. It's already pressed snooze a couple of times. It's trying to work out why it didn't just set the alarm for 20 minutes later in the first place, thereby maximizing actual proper sleep time. It opens its phone, starts to check Twitter or Facebook rather than facing the real world, then slowly laboriously steps out of bed and heads for the shower to sort itself out. That's what an early season GA competition looks like. Not a barrel of laughs, but a means to a greater end. And Michael Foley wrote a great piece in the Sunday Times yesterday about the importance of these competitions beyond sport and why they actually do fulfill a useful role in wider society. It's not too... uh, That sounds a bit ridiculous, the way I phrase it there, but (laughs) believe me, Michael Foley makes some good points, and we'll get to him later on. He'll be on the show in a little bit. First off, it's rugby. The Irish players in the middle of a short get-together with Joe Schmidt. Ireland. Yep, uh, with that team to kick off the year. He really can't say it, can he? He cannot say the name of Ireland. And get their minds (laughs) thinking about the Six Nations. The biggest issue for Joe, Simon... Uh, seems to be who he's going to pick as the next captain. Yeah, exciting times. Early Jan, but already uh, a big topic to discuss. And I suppose since the dawn of professionalism, there's been three really obvious candidates in Keith Wood, O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell. If they were fit, they were almost definitely getting the captaincy, apart from the one-time kidney um, dropped O'Driscoll and brought in Heaslip, I think and it was 2013. maybe when O'Driscoll got it originally... He certainly seemed to, seemed to be a bit surprised by it, but maybe he shouldn't have been. Or maybe he's just being modest. Maybe, yeah, maybe at the start that it. was a surprise and then been, very quickly been, yeah. realized yeah, after this is our two best games, ever player. Like, yeah, yeah, he already is our best ever player, so give him the captain. Yeah, and now what we have are actually more candidates within one team, I think, than we've ever had before, but not one really clear, obvious choice. Well, Shane Horgan is listening in and Jerry Thorny joins in the studio. Jerry, happy new year. And many happy returns to uh, you and all the listeners out there. Do you agree with Simon that this is the first time that the captaincy issue that there hasn't been one obvious standout captain in the professional era certainly over the last 10-15 years that it's maybe more interesting this time because we don't really know who it's going to be I suppose that's an inevitable byproduct of losing two of the greatest captains Irish rugby has ever known and certainly the two outstanding captains of the professional era Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell it's the first Six Nations campaign without either of them so yeah that's an inevitable byproduct of that makes it more interesting to talk about it does yeah and there are a number of contenders as well a number of fairly obvious contenders you certainly think of about three off the top of your head Sexton Best Heaslip um, I throw O'Brien in there as well. O'Brien, more, yeah, uh, okay. yeah, I would. I think Sean O'Brien's got real leadership qualities and potential, and he's not unburdened by um, an awful lot else in terms of the Leinster captaincy or being the goal kicker and the playmaker. If you look at Rory Best, he's already Ulster captain, so I know they value his leadership highly. I think if he wasn't the Ulster captain, they might well go with him. But it's a big ask to make to be both the provincial captain and the and the Test captain. Well, just on that, we always you know, it's always very clear that Ulster pride themselves on getting players into the Irish mm. setup, and maybe have perceived a bias over the years. That doesn't seem to exist at the moment, certainly. But I would have thought that they'd probably move heaven and earth to 
have Rory if, if they got an inkling that Rory Best could be the Ireland captain surely there'd be a way to yes. work that around you know, work that around what he's doing also, just, yeah. of those burdens with Ulster exactly, potentially yeah, yeah that, that, that's true I hadn't thought of that that's a valid point yeah I just have a hunch it might, it might well go to Jamie Heaslip given that Jamie Heaslip has been a captain a go-to captain for Joe Schmidt both with Leinster and in Ireland over the last number of years so you know they've got previous there um, I think it would be a lot to pin on I, I'm not very happy pinning all of that on a captain a captaincy on a goal kicker playmaker at out half that I mean, is an issue for you is it? yeah it always has been for me I just think they've enough going on they're, they're a quasi captain as it is they're the most important player in the team always have been always will be in, in my view and they've enough to be doing I mean I'm not saying that he couldn't be captain I'm sure he would I and mean, I'm sure he'd love the job and he'd be very honoured to do it and would give it his best shot and he's very much a leader in any event anyway I would say he's the marginal favourite, but I think O'Brien's a, a, a real dark horse for the job. Shane, who would your standout candidate be? Um, I think uh, all those names that uh, Jerry's mentioned there are um, certainly in the running. Uh, I always prefer a back as a uh, as a captain because, um, especially with Ireland, because a lot of the big personalities um, are very often in the forwards. And I think to get the game management balance right, I think it's nice to have somebody a bit further out inputting. And that's why it was, I thought Brian was perfect. It's nice to have a centre um, to act in that role. Now, we don't have that situation. Um, now, from a back's perspective, that leaves Conor Murray and uh, Johnny Sexton. And either of them could perform the role, I think, pretty well, or very well, actually. Um, I think Conor... Um, maybe looking for a, you know, if you're looking at a, a longer cycle, he's someone who carries himself very well, speaks very well, is a key member, and is going to be picked every week. Um, Johnny, similarly, um, more experience, you know, very uh, highly respected, and and um, with a huge standing in the squad. Uh, you know, I think Jerry makes a legitimate point. Would he have too much on his plate? He has to go kicking. It's a lot of extra time. The captaincy duties um, are onerous enough, and he has a lot in his plate. I'm sure, as Jerry said again, um, he'd accept it. But um, is it necessarily the best thing for Johnny? I don't know. Only he'd be able to answer it. And uh, if he was offered it, um, I think he'd probably take it. But I don't think either of those two guys are going to be the captain, to be honest with you. I think that he's going to go for a forward. And um, I think Rory Best is the easiest choice. Um, he will be. He'd be excellent. He's a very good performer uh, on the pitch, uh, also off the pitch. I think he says the right things very often. Hugely respected in the squad, and um, I think. But my my outside shot, like uh, Jerry's Sean O'Brien, I think he'd be um, an excellent captain. Um, still at an age where he's going to be around for a, a long time. Very well respected in the squad and outside it as well. And um, I think his demeanour comes across well in uh, interviews. I think Jamie Heaslam obviously has been captain before. Um, I think his demeanour in interviews isn't great. I think that's maybe one of the issues that might hold him back from getting it. I don't think he always gives off a great message post-game. He just hasn't got the hang of that uh, quite, quite right yet. Um, and that's an important consideration. But I do think... Um, captaincy probably is is overrated. It's it's more of a, a thing for the media and for fans than actually um, than than the team. I've now people disagree with that, but uh, what I think the most important thing for a captain is someone who's playing exceptionally well um, and trains really well, doesn't make many mistakes, 
uh, is very diligent in the way they work and look after their own game primarily. Um, we're talking about this in the context of all these players are already captains and leaders and throw Peter Romani in there if he wasn't injured and a number of others as well. So there's a lot of leadership in the team. I think the guy who actually you know, goes for the toss and, and deals uh, with the media at the end, I don't think it's quite as important a role as maybe sometimes when you don't have many leaders. Just on the point you make about he's up there, Shane, Peter O'Reilly said something similar yesterday in the Sunday Times. He says that uh, he's the blacks the humility which Schmidt preaches. Basically, he fails to grasp the concept that the public's attitude towards you is conditioned by your attitude towards the media. A few journalists have actually made this point publicly lately but is do, is that is that actually the case these days with, with twitter and all the rest of it do is is it actually that important how you carry yourself in a post-match tv or newspaper interview i think it's hard to, to judge whether someone judge someone's humility or not by the way necessarily they come across in an interview but i do think that an interview interviews and you know twitter interactions and fan interactions um is are more difficult for others and uh, getting your body language right and getting your language right isn't natural natural to everyone um we've been lucky we've had there's some really amazing leaders, and we've seen that because they haven't just been leaders in Ireland. They've gone on to lead the Lions, and that's not just been in the last two guys, but you know, he's stretching all the way back, um, you know, back into the 80s uh, and well before then as well, into 70s and 60s. We've had leaders in the, of the Lions, you know, almost more than anybody in any other uh, country. So um, we've generally had it's been something that's been quite easy coming to our leaders, but it doesn't come easy, easy to everyone. And like communication, like one of the other you know, uh, skills that doesn't come natural to everyone. It has to be something that's worked on. And uh, not everybody is, is, is for, not everything is for everybody. So um, I think that there is a, a case to, to, to look at, you know, how your captain communicates, what sort of body language they project and, and what kind of um, uh, image they present to, of Irish rugby. Jerry, what do you think about the perception of Heaslip, the, What's the media give out about in post-match interviews? We've quite a few written journalists have spoken about this over the last few months about Heaslip um, versus what the general public would really see in maybe six, seven interviews a year maximum. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I think if it came to being an Irish captain and, and being on television post-match and pre-match, I'm pretty sure that Jamie Heaslip would come across fine and, and be as humble as he would need to be. Um, there have been occasions just around the written press where... He has been um, a little moody, a little bit, you know, um, uncommunicative. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and he has annoyed a few of my colleagues. I've never had any bad dealings with him, I must confess, on a personal level. I've always found him pleasant to deal with. But um, bar one occasion, when it was very early in the morning in Argentina, and he wasn't in the mood to give a press conference at 8 a.m. or whatever it was, which was perhaps understandable. Mind you, none of us really want to be there either. But... <laughs> um, but Leaving that aside, I wouldn't be too bothered about that, to be honest. Um, I think he's had enough experience of it now that were he, were he offered the job again by Joe Schmidt, I'm sure he'd handle himself appropriately. Shane, you said just you say you think it should be a back, but you, it sounds like you're plumping for Conor Murray maybe ahead of Johnny Sexton? Well, you know, it's not a question of you know, pumping for I think um, you know, either of them would be very, you know, would be exceptional at the job. You know, I think I really like the way they both carry themselves. 
um, I think um, you know they're, they're they're both respected in the squad. I've is heard it, is them it too much to ask about of, of Sexton though, as a ten, as Jerry says, with with all the other responsibilities, and also a lot a lot is made of his demeanor on the field. That maybe he's a little. Yeah, we we know at this, at this age that he's too demanding of people. Maybe as a captain, you have to lay off him a little bit. Yeah, well, listen, I've seen him captain teams before, and you know that I don't think it's been um, weighed that heavily on him, and I think. It's very difficult for us to say. It's it's easy for us to say, sorry, that it's too much responsibility for him. But he could be sitting at home now, crying out to be Irish captain. It could be the one thing that he's always wanted in his life above, you know, playing for Ireland. Um, so it might suit him really well to do that, and it might, you know, spur him on to a different level and a different performance, and and he could feel more comfortable in his own skin. We don't know just because you know myself and Jerry might find it more difficult if we had kick goals and you know go to press conferences and and be the star of a, and be the you know the fulcrum where everything goes around. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that Johnny Sexton or indeed Conor Murray are is thinking that way. And I, you know, I do like a back being. Um, being um, the the captain because it, it does and you know it, it, it does change the balance of a team. Now I think that's largely because Brian O'Driscoll was my captain for so long, and it's not as if we weren't going to be the team wasn't going to be using him uh, if he wasn't you know a big voice as captain. They're going to use him anyway, but I don't think it did any harm. And I think you know during that period where where Ireland uh, had very strong uh, backs that. Uh, they had a very strong uh, voice in, you know, in every meeting and in every, you know, in every discussion of the, w- the way the game is going to be played. Shane, you were saying earlier. I also, sorry, just one other thing as well. Yeah. I think, you know, to, to caveat that, if we're not going to go for a for a back, um, and I understand you know, the reasons behind it as well. If you're not going to go for a back, I think that there's something to be really said for going for a seven as uh, as your. Um, as your captain, because um, they tend to get into positions where they give away a lot of penalties or they're give, there's a lot of marginal calls. And I think it's always more difficult to penalise or indeed yellow card uh, a captain if he's playing at seven rather than you know just a regular seven. As Richie McCaw's test career would abundantly prove in spades. Yeah, yeah. I think and, that's one of the elements of that. Yeah. The other one was that he was an all-black captain as well, but we've gone into that long enough, Jerry. <laughs> we don't want to start off the first the first uh, of the of the year giving out about the all-blacks and seven poaching. The other thing I like about this, we're talking about you know the void after in the post Paul O'Connell, post Brian O'Driscoll, and yet we're coming up with five very valid contenders, all of whom, if fit, would be automatic choice in the team. So that's that's a position of rouse of strength to choose from. I wouldn't say there are too many. Yeah, it's just that none of them are miles ahead are clearly no. the right choice, which, no. which makes it interesting. Word, yeah, yeah, which makes it very interesting. The one thing I would, an, an additional reason I would like to have a, a look at Sean O'Brien as captain is he's got a touch of the Paul O'Connell's about him, as I suppose is Rory Best and Jamie Heasup as well, in that if it's not a question of, you know, do what I say, well, then do what I do. You know, Sean O'Brien would very much be a leader from the front. The players would see that very much like Paul O'Connell did. And I think that would make him a very interesting choice as well. So your number one, just to round this part of up, your number one choice would be O'Brien? I think Heasup's the favourite. I would like to but see Sean O'Brien get it. In, uh, and I take, I take Shane's point about Conor Murray as well. He's got real leadership qualities. And Scrum Half has been proven to be a very good position. You're right at the cold face and they're pretty much auxiliary referees anyway so they'd be, they'd be in the referee's ear by nature anyway Shane your number one choice yeah I don't but well, I don't think that it's going to be I don't again I, I to reiterate I don't think it's a, a, a the, the most crucial decision I think there's a lot of other 
decisions, some of them selections, some of them about the way Ireland played that are going to be much more important for Ireland going to the Six Nations. Um, Good. <laughs> I, I think I think I think it's going to be Sean O'Brien actually. Okay, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, th- these get-togethers in general, Shane, it's a twenty-four-hour get-together that they're doing at the moment. It's the kind of thing that tends to be written about afterwards. I remember after the the Grand Slam season, everyone was talking about Rob Kearney stepping up in the middle of a meeting and calling out the Munster players for not necessarily caring as much about playing for Ireland. And in a winning season, these are the, when a book is written and when all the articles are written, this is the kind of thing that people come back to, whereas I'm sure things like that might have been said in other years and they haven't had the same impact, so they're forgotten about. But is there a lot of value in times like this when you're still a little bit away from the competition starting? You're still mostly in provincial mode, but you meet up, uh, particularly under Joe Schmidt, to maybe clear the air after the World Cup? Yeah, I think it chills Joe Smith out a little bit as well. I'd say he's gone bananas to try and get his hands on the players. So just from keeping him from exploding, it's a good thing that he has some interaction with the players. Um, it's kind of weird, you know, when you're when you're in provincial mode and there's a lot going on, especially around Christmas time. There's a lot of strains on on players. It's you know, it's not the it's not the thing you want to do most. Um, that's for certain. Your focus is is elsewhere. But when you get there, it's kind of nice. And you do, um, you can figure some stuff out. You know, I don't think they're starting from scratch, um, but it'll be just nice for them to sort of get the the, the, the um, interaction with each other again. And no harm being in a, in a room together when, when they know Paul isn't there and that presence is gone and so the aura changes a little bit and everybody gets a feeling uh, for where they are. And again, the squad also. The fact this time around there's some, you know, young players have come in, which... You know, will be exciting. You know, it'll be very exciting for them. They'll be delighted to be in, and it's kind of um, everybody be looking around a bit, bit because players coming in, certainly when they're in your position and they're young, um, they become a threat, um, and that tends to focus the mind as well. So, I think there are a number of benefits. I, you know, the, um, I think most of all, probably calm the coach down and allowing him to get a feel for the players again. Yeah, some of the young players in there, uh, we, the, Gary Ringrose obviously is maybe the most hyped of them. Stuart McCluskey, uh, Ulton Delan of Connacht. Yeah, interesting uh, one. Josh Van, a real prospect. Yeah, Josh and Van Quite a big second row as well. Josh Van de Flair has, had a, has been a real impact player this season. And CJ Stander, it's good to see him there, the way he's taken to the um, Munster captaincy. And it was interesting to read Owen Redden's comments about, you know, still being excited about being called back into camp. And one of the things he was most excited about was, was to see who the new faces would be. And, you know, um, Paul Wallace, I think, mentioned this season that you know in Harlequins there was always that r- rule of thumb that or Saracens rather there was always that rule of thumb that you needed one or two new young faces breaking into the team every year. It, it was a great way of refreshing things. I think it's particularly important for the Irish psyche and the Irish provinces and the Irish national team that there are one or two new young faces coming in every season to keep. Uh, although he used the word team there, and th- that's yeah. very much key here. We're talking about an extended squad at the yeah, moment. Yeah, are are any of those 50. players likely to make an impact on a match day squad come the Six Nations? I think one of the back rowers might well do. CJ Stand or Josh Van de Flyer, given the depleted resources. Another one, of course, who's back in the frame now must be Tommy O'Donnell, who was in the form of his life before the World Cup and has made a fantastic return, as has O'Brien. So that's very timely from Joe Schmidt's point of view. And it probably means we're going to see a fair degree of familiarity despite this new blood coming through this season. I would hope that Gary Ringrose would get some taste of test rugby at some point during the Six Nations. 
but I would be very surprised if he's pitched in against Wales first game up. Um, he still hasn't played that much in the way of European Cup rugby, so I think he's still got to, you know, I mean, the fact that his test career might be delayed now is in part because his, his provincial career was delayed so long at Leinster. Even this season, like when you think of that first Wasps game, it still doesn't really make much sense as to why he wasn't thrown in that day. So I'm not so sure we'll see him straight out, but we might see him at some point during the season. Um, Josh van der Flaer has got a couple of sevens. He got three sevens ahead of him, really, when you think of Chris Henry's very much part of the to the Joe Schmidt and Irish fabric, as is Tommy O'Donnell, as is Sean O'Brien. Stander, with Peter Manning not there, could possibly make, a, make an impact. I think he certainly could be a weapon for this Irish team. Shane, what's your appraisal of, of Ringrose and McCluskey in particular? And would you see, say, hypothetically, in an Italy game, either of them making a bench? Well, I'd like, I'd, I'd like to see Ringrose before then. I'd love to see him start. You know, I think he's the kind of guy who would... Uh, invigorate the the team and invigorate uh, Irish rugby again. You know, I think if, if you look at, I've watched watched a lot of rugby uh, so far this year. Um, you know, especially after the after the World Cup, let's say, and you know, there hasn't been that much to excite. You know, but he really has, and. Uh, I don't know him coming into a squad, him you know getting picked early. Um, I think he could um, he could change the way Ireland play. I think he really could. His outside break is remarkable. He's got great speed. He's got footwork. Uh, he's got a um, an honesty. And I'll tell you, he's got a really good tackling game. I was very surprised uh, how good he was against Munster uh, in Thoman. And he had you know big centre in. Um, in um, what's the Francis um, Sayili. Uh, yeah, Sayili, uh, Sayili. Um, you know, very difficult to tackle, and he, he dealt with them uh, really well. So, you know, the, I think the only thing that's stopping him from maybe playing this uh, Six Nations is that uh, Luke Fitzgerald is playing so well mm. in the centre. And Luke's footwork has been brilliant this year. He's, I think he's gone very well in the centre for Leinster. But, um, I'd really like to see Ringrose play the next number of games for Leinster. There's no reason why he shouldn't, uh, given that uh, they're now out of Europe um, and Ben Teo is, is not staying. So why would you pick him in these games that you know effectively mean nothing? Play Gary Ringrose with uh, Luke Fitzgerald at 12 and then you know, really checking out and giving the option of a 13 going into the first game of the Six Nations. And you don't want to put pressure on the lad, but he also, he'll want to play for Ireland more than anyone else. And uh, he could do worse than playing a 13. Simon, you raised your eyebrow. I might even call it arching your eyebrow there when Shane said that well, he, he, changing he thinks the way, should change the way. I mean, because the, the talk over here, Shane, I don't know if you're seeing, is that a lot of it might be hype or Dublin hype, the fact that he's Blackrock College. And, you know, there's people in the journalism game from Blackrock College. So there's that suggestion. But I know Brian O'Driscoll tweeted about it and he wouldn't actually be given to hype about players. Um, even who are from com- Blackrock. Yeah, who are coming through. But um, well, uh, the well, fact I, that I'm you would say Blackrock, he might change the way know? Ireland play is, is high praise. Well, I'm not from Blackrock, you know, and uh, I just know how I, you know, what sort of rugby I've been watching and what's been exciting me. And he's really been exciting me. He's the guy at the moment that I want to watch rugby for. And there's not too many of them around uh, playing, certainly in the Pro 12, where you go, I re- I, you know, every time he gets the ball, I'm excited by him. And I know he hasn't played many games, but, you know, you know he, is, he has a chance now to play a few games before the Six Nations. Not saying pick him um, straight away, but I tell you, if he did, if he goes well in the next three games, you know, maybe pick him. Uh, you could do worse. Certainly, there's no reason for 
um, Leo Cullen and Gervin Dempsey not to be picking Gary Greenrose now in the next two rounds of the of the European oh, Leicester, Cup. Leicester certainly, yeah. No, no reason. Why. These are the least two important matches of their, their season for the remainder of their season. This is normally where the French would experiment and pick out their espoirs or whatever else. I'm not suggesting Leinster do that. But the fact is that the Pro 12 is way more important for the rest of their season. And their poor form last season in the Pro 12 and finishing fifth is what saddled them with the pood of sharks in the European Cup this time around. If they win the Pro 12, they're guaranteed a, f- a first seeding. So it's way more important. And absolutely, with Ben Teo moving on, all the more reason for Gary Reynolds to play the next three games, including the, the rounds five and six in the European Cup, and see what he's got. And I agree that we shouldn't rule out McCloskey in terms of this. And Henshaw's going to come back in the mix and... Luke Fitzgerald has finally got a run in midfield and his footwork has been spellbinding in that midfield traffic. It's been absolutely brilliant. So he's got a few options here, Joe. So in the wake of Darcy O'Driscoll, we've got eight really good centres, <laughs> yeah. young centres on form. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Listen, Jerry, brilliant stuff. Shane, thank you. Cheers. Thanks a million. Cheers. Stop it. That's one of those things. Stop it. How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. He's 34 years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tan than me, but. Right, so Jerry wants to be Sean O'Brien. Shane thinks it will be Sean O'Brien. Jerry Tony wants to be Sean O'Brien. W- wants it, the captaincy to be Sorry. the go-to Sean O'Brien. Well, no, we can also assume that, I think. I think we can all assume <laughs> that, really, can't we? Based on our work with Jerry over the last few years. Uh, Sean O'Brien for captain, Simon? Yeah, he'd be my choice as well. Really? Yeah, I think if he's at his best, he's Ireland's best rugby player he captain many it's not as though he has no. say he's lip or well Peter Armani maybe if he was fit at the moment would be in people's heads a little bit more here as well it's yeah just that exactly he's, he's yeah he's out definitely for the Six Nations and possibly even for the summer tour so forget about him for the moment but um, Sean O'Brien this is from the outside looking in obviously but mm. he seems to have gotten more confident the older he gets uh, he's more forthright uh, he gives his opinions and he's like there were concerns after his long injury spells coming back, but in the last few weeks he's been sensational, and he's a very consistent player. I think, say somebody like Rory Best is is very hardworking and humble and has a great personality and comes across well, and Captain Dulster and all the rest of it. But on his day, when he has the yip slightly with the throws, that could become an issue. Suddenly, your captain is is the worst player on the side. But Sean O'Brien, you just can't imagine him ever having a really off day. Ken, put down the teacup and tell us what's in the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm good and evil. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Well, we talked about uh, everything against Tottenham. That was one of the games of the weekend, Tottenham's title credentials with uh, Tony Barrett. And we also talked a bit about West Ham, um, Liverpool, a lot about Sam Allardyce. A lot about Sam Allardyce. Um, and, yeah, and a couple of other things besides. 
Early season GA competitions are not exactly beloved by all, I think it's fair to say, and probably will be the first to go whenever the association eventually gets around to implementing some proper changes to the fixture list. But Michael Foley wrote a great piece in the Sunday Times yesterday about a hidden value of these competitions and why they need to stay on the calendar. Michael, thanks very much for, for talking, as always. Happy New Year to you. These competitions actually, uh, certainly in Leinster, play a bit of a role beyond sport. Yeah, well, it's just a nice thing. I wasn't aware of it at all um, until somebody mentioned it to me uh, before Christmas. They were saying that um, the O'Byrne Cup, the Walsh Cup, the Kyo Cup, the, the pre-season tournaments in Leinster, essentially, are known collectively as the accident tournaments and have been known as this for years and years. And apparently the the, the, the revenue uh, earned from these tournaments is basically ring-fenced and used as a sort of um, just a little fun for, for GA members and Leinster who fall on hard times. So now, that could be anything. Uh, the, way, the way it was described to me, it could be anything now from uh, somebody who, who falls seriously ill and needs to, they might need to do a little bit of help with their hospital bills or something, or someone who's in a serious car accident or whatever, or even in the, in the current climate now, someone who might have, you know, there might have been flood damage in their home or something and they're struggling to make ends meet again. That very, in a very quiet, um, almost neighbourly way, as we described it yesterday, like that. You know, they'll just be given a hand handout. There's no fanfare about it. There's no sort of, um, you know, it's not a publicity thing for the Leinster Council or for anybody else. It's just there. It's done. It's people helping other people. And it sort of just, you know, on a bigger scale of things, you know, it kind of just struck me that this is the sort of stuff that the GA does really, uh, the, probably the, the thing the GA does best of all, you know. It's that sort of, um, it's just it's just being neighbourly in a very simple uh, dare I say it, very Irish kind of way, you know, without any messing or any food mauling around. They just, you know, if they can help, they help. And it's, 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 it's as I said, the money is ring-fenced for that. Not sure that's the case with the other pre-season competitions, but, you know, that's that's not the point either. It's just, it was just something that struck me yeah. and, and uh, I just thought it was very interesting. You Don't know? they know this is high-level sport, Michael? Well, there should be, where is the razzmatazz? Why aren't there photographs of novelty checks being handed over and so forth? Yeah, well, let's, this is it, like, you know, I mean, it struck me, again, you know, when you sort of try and think beyond it, and you're kind of going, well, you know, you know, in the summertime now, like, you know, the GA will kind of sell the championships in this sort of very, in inverted commas, kind of, you know, um, slick, sort of uh, modern 21st century way, in the same way that you see, uh, you know, or at least trying to keep pace with kind of professional sport and that. But as I say, this is the sort of stuff that they do the best of all. I, I describe it as polished roughness. It's sort of very nicely done, but it's quintessentially Irish. It's not over the top. It's it's just it's just a very nice thing to do, and it's something. As I said in the piece yesterday, it's something that I think the GAA, as they're coming towards a you know pretty big crossroads over the next few years in terms of where they want to go with with the games. It's something that they just want to be careful that they preserve that that state of mind, if you like, and that that ability to sort of feed the grassroots as best they can. Because my own feeling always is that the more the GA tries to go global, the it doesn't really suit them because the games aren't the games to me aren't aren't a global thing, you know. Um they're a they're a very indigenous sort of local national thing in Ireland that work best when they're they're pushed and, and, and promoted more here than abroad. Yeah, I, I I feel the exact same way actually, Michael, and the more I see the GA trying to be as professional a sport as professional sports, if you know what I mean, that yeah. the idea that uh, that the GA can market itself as successfully as the Premier League is, first of all, ridiculous, and also, I think, probably counterproductive. I mean, it, what actually, when I read your piece yesterday and started to think about what you're talking about there, 
what actually came to my mind was the the London 2012 opening ceremony. And I don't know if you remember, like the Beijing opening ceremony for the Olympics in 2008 was this like shock and awe uh, mm. sort of affair. And the idea that London could try and match that, I was, I was thinking, you know, the, it's always a big deal in the run up to these Olympic Games. And I was thinking, what could London possibly do that could come anywhere close to Beijing? And of course, what it actually did was, instead of trying to buy more fireworks than Beijing, it was like a song and dance number about the NHS. It showed imagination. It showed it 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 shrank the thing to something that uh, the audience could actually really uh, 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 refer to, could uh, believe was relevant to them. And yeah. I think that that it's actually uh, in a bizarre way something that the GA can can learn from as well. That it trying to be bigger or trying to be glitzier or trying to be more glamorous than professional sport is impossible to start with and also not a very good marketing idea either for the GA. Why would you want it? You know, I mean, uh, it's funny the way it goes, like over the last couple of weeks and maybe it's just a time here and that there's been a lot of pieces in the newspapers, especially the weekend, especially the Sunday papers about money and about sort of, you know, how much the Premier League has worked, how much is being, you know, the, you know, the practice of Premier League teams are the richest clubs in the world, etc. etc. the money you get, even if you go down, and um, there's been an awful lot of talk then kind of about access, you know, media access and stuff. And I know I, I'm always skeptical whether people care about this stuff, really. They don't really care, you know, about how our jobs are awkward or what makes them difficult. But, like, it all kinds of fe- kind of feeds into this idea. Do you want to be that big, you know? Even though, as you say, I don't think the GA has the capacity to be that big anyway, or never will. It's just not built that way. Like, the GA has always had a kind of a liking to kind of could globalize itself in some way, shape or form whether it's like the, the international rules or just like a simple thing 100 years ago they used to take matches over to Liverpool and over to, I think it was Liverpool and Scotland and they used to get big crowds at them but they kind of petered out after a bunch of years. It's just a, it's kind of a passing fad, you know, but the GA kind of needs to, always and ever, and it, it happens at different occasions. They just need to kind of reassess and reconnect with what makes it work in the first place, you know. And the thing that struck me about the O'Barn Cup, and that's much with the, all of the pre-season tournaments, it's oftentimes they're the first ones that come up in conversations about streamlining schedules and so on and so forth. When in actual fact, they're very useful things in a lot of different ways, you know. Um, they're, a good, they're a good slipway into the season for inter-county teams for a start on a very practical level. Um, but they're also, for the reasons I outlined there with Leinster, they serve a great purpose there. Um, they also like if you look at the teams yesterday from a lot of from a lot of the counties. Jesus, like yesterday was the biggest day for an awful lot of guys in their GA career because they got to wear a county jersey, and we might never hear them again. They might get another couple of matches and that's it. But God, that, yesterday was massive for an awful lot of people, you know. And that sort of that 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 sort of you know, I suppose rush to kind of make the championship the be all and end all and the inter county game the be all and end all at championship level, you sort of sent, again, I go back to that sense of humanity about just that simple polished roughness. I go back to, you know, that, that simplicity, but yeah, you kind of lose a bit of that. But this is the conflict now the GA are facing. Like, it's, you know, do we want, because if the GA was to maximise itself in terms of, you know, we're talking about, you know, marketing and, and, and promoting itself to the, to, to the nth degree, they would focus totally on the inter-county game. They would focus entirely on it and you would have a two-track system. You'd have inter-county and you'd have club and that would be it. And never the twain would meet again. So, like, you know, that's that's where my thought process was going yesterday anyway, that sort of the, the pre-season tournaments in their own way 
sort of capture something about the GA that they have to be very careful to protect in the long term. Yeah, it seems like there are almost two separate issues there. It sounds like we're all in agreement about this global <laughs> domination that ah, yeah. the GA might yeah. see. for. But even, you know, it's the same with the Sky deal. I mean, does anyone really think that you know, beyond a few tweets here and there, it's really going to penetrate the UK market in any meaningful way outside the Irish diaspora? I don't think most people necessarily do. But what you talk about there is maybe more of a point of debate is the... The idea that by focusing too much on the top level and on the intercounty championship, really, you're going to take away from everything else. But there is an argument that if you do restructure things successfully, if you do do away with the O'Byrne Cup and the rest of the preseason competitions, if you do streamline it in, in whatever way, there's been so many suggestions over the last few years. I don't know what the best way is, but if you manage to get it right at intercounty level, the whole idea or at least part of the idea behind that is that it should help the club game. It should help the grassroots to use that term and that actually um, it'll help the game. It'll help the game overall. And you're not necessarily just by improving things at championship level doesn't mean you're necessarily doing away with the amateur ethos in any way or with the sort of things that you're talking about today. Yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose it comes down to that though. It comes down to how do you, how do you restructure it in a way that benefits the clubs? A lot of the proposals that have been put forward in the last while, and you'd have a headache looking at them all, you know, they're just, you know, there, there are a lot of them are just head melters, but a lot of them do seem to have, well, not a lot of them, but a, a, a certain few of them um, seem to just have more inter-county games. And they want to get, you know, they want to, we say, do things like dilute the provincial championships. Now, those two things in itself, they're complete non-starters, like, because if you, do, number one, you don't want any more inter-county games. If the GA are serious about creating that balance you're talking about, then you don't want any more inter-county games than you have already. Um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a non-starter. So, like, and the other thing then about provinces is there's this idea out there that I don't understand. But people will be saying, oh, God, wouldn't it be getting, you know, Champions League system, open draw. God, can you imagine Cork playing Meath or, you know, Kerry playing Donegal in Bally Buffet? Who is going to travel up to those games? You know, I mean, the one big thing that GA people like is local rivalries. They like to see their teams playing each other that are, you know, local to each other and, and local rivals. This idea that you're going to have this band of happy travelling supporters up and down around the country from different counties during the summer, it's just rubbish. It won't happen. Like, I mean, you know, you, all you have to do is from a, you know, from a perspective down south here, think of the Cork football support, like, you know. Um, it's just not going to happen. I mean, the best, the best chance you have, even from that side of things, just from a pure attendance side of things, you have to retain an element of local rivalry, that's it's again. That's another part of you know the basic lifeblood of GA. You know, at all levels. So I mean, there's a lot of those, a lot of these proposals that are out there are just they they just don't make any logical sense, and they don't feed into what you're talking. And I agree with you on like I mean, of course, if you got the intercounty structure right, if they got the right, if they, if they got the right thing together, you, of course it will benefit the clubs. It'll make more space for games. It'll make the whole thing more streamlined and so on and so forth. How you get there, that's the that's the big question. And I mean, they're not gonna you know it's not going to be solved in a year. Much like the GA, because of so many vested interests, it takes years to come up to a, a suitable solution for the era that you're in. So it's going to take it's going to take a long time. Even now, even though there's a certain impetus around it at the moment, I, I, you're talking years before they actually come to a solution that suits that suits all the demands at the moment. Yeah, it sounds like something we'll be, we'll be coming back to in the near future. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a chord. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things that you can't... I'd say every single column you'll ever read about the G at the moment, there's yeah. two or three things it comes back to, and fixtures and schedules is one that you can see in nearly every single column at the minute, you know? Michael, isn't brilliant stuff. Thank you. No problem. And even this conversation has turned back to the fixtures, uh, the fixture list overall, which I suppose was inevitable. Just to get back to the original point, it is a great idea, and 
I do find it interesting that I hadn't heard, none of us had heard mm. of this money that's ring fence. We're talking about uh, to uh, you know this money generated by these competitions in Leinster go to these worthy causes. In this year's case, probably to help the flood victims. Around half a million euro in each of the last two years. So not insignificant gate receipts we're talking about there. Yeah, is it possible to if these competitions do go? Surely it's possible to find other ways to come up with that money. Or are you suddenly just oh, losing yeah, well, a, a charitable uh, donation of half a million a year? To no, I don't think so. Um, it, it, the way it's done now is very. It's a very clear. Yeah, these clean competitions are. Yeah, exactly. They're not the. They're not the be on the end all on, on the field of play. They're not. Well, they are pretty big money spinners. It seems. So uh, yeah. I'm surprised about that amount of money. But yeah, that that they're ring fence in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 obviously there is a way to to ensure that this money continues to be paid if the O'Byrne Cup is is gotten rid of and the Walsh and Kewa Cups. And to be honest, if that's you know that 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 can't be the reason for to hold up. I mean, there's a million and one reasons why fixture changes uh, won't get through or will be held up or uh, yeah. or whatever. This can't be one of them. Um, particularly when what you're doing is opening up competitions, hopefully getting more games. Uh, more high-profile games that matter, which means more money for the GA, which means that this money shouldn't be endangered. But I mean, yeah, like you're, the, the the amount of money we're talking about is actually pretty much the same as you know what Dundalk got for competing in the 2015 2016 Champions League. You know what I mean? Like that, it's a it's a huge amount of money mm. uh, in Irish sport in the in an Irish sporting context. Uh, so you you would hate to see the see the money disappear as a result of that, but I mean I don't think that that, that has to happen. Slightly jarring images today of David Fitzgerald and Donal O'Cusack barking out orders at their Clare t- at the Clare team. Yeah. <laughs> I know we were all ex- this was uh, I knew Donal O'Cusack was now working with the Clare Herders, but to actually see them side by side on the same team look weird. in tandem, yeah. yeah, and up against Jeremy O'Sullivan, who Donal O'Cusack basically Donal O'Cusack's best friend in hurling. Oh yeah, um, played with him and against played with him for Cloyne and for Cork for about twenty years. Uh, who and he started with Cork as a selector yesterday as well, which is kind of bizarre. But um, yeah, it was weird. And Davy was talking about uh, how he's settling in, and all seems to be uh, rosy so far uh, between himself and Donald Logue. But we also got, I think, a taster of Davy Fitzgerald's New Year's resolution, which is let's not be talking about referees. <laughs> Can we please all stop talking about referees? Uh, so he's asked about Shade O'Donnell, who got the winning goal in this game that they were playing against Cork anyway and um, he 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 was asked about Shane O'Donnell and then he, you know what he did he broke his New Year's resolution on. he caught that ball today and he's a savage ball player says Davy of Shane O'Donnell but there's just so much attention on him and he's being pulled constantly I looked at the DVD after the Cork game last year and I could pick three frees easily if you look back you'll see it and you could see it today and I wouldn't give out about the referee today here's the New Year's resolution because I thought he was very good but that's just the only thing that might need a look at in our view. In fairness, with the refereeing in general last year, we can't say anything. It was fair enough, New Year's resolution again, even though he'd kind of broken it beforehand in the previous paragraph. I thought Shane did very well when he came on. He caught a great ball. I thought he was held up. How it was a free out, I don't know. It should have been a penalty, I thought. To me, he finds it very tough to get frees. I think it's something that seri- seriously has to be looked at because that's what happened every time he gets the ball. He's just getting absolutely killed. Yeah. See what he tried to do there? He tried to not talk about referees, but instead he talked about referees. I like the fact that it's out. also the most meaningless game of the season that we're yeah. talking after, so we'll wait and see what happens. <laughs> really didn't need to make sure a point about the refereeing in this particular game, but we, there you go on. We've managed to get through this entire podcast with computers intact, free of yep. tea spillages. Mm-hmm. Ken's yep. hoovered up the rest of his tea. 
Yeah, it's pretty so, good. Uh, it's it's hard to spill an empty cup, Ken, as they say. Uh, yeah. Well. The old thing goes. <laughs> The oldest cliche good, in good show tea. business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. It's hard to spill an empty cup. <laughs> thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks very much Thank for you, listening. Thanks, thanks, Owen. We'll talk to you soon. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.